0: Hi, everybody. My name is Remy. Welcome to the For The Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here. you host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome back to our lovely podcast community. You are so beloved here and I am so happy to have you. Now listen, you guys, you are in for it today in the best way. We are forging ahead in our very exciting series, For the Love of TV. It is fall and TV is hitting us with full force with new and old favorites. And we have some of the best guests on in this series. And today I'm beside myself because our guest is one of the most hilarious characters on one of the smartest TV shows out right now. So I am tickled to have Jamila Jamil on For the Love Today. And you might know her as the well-to-do socialite Tahani from the NBC comedy, The Good Place. The Good Place. You guys, if you haven't I, I hope you are watching The Good Place. Like the hat makers are all into The Good Place. And if you haven't, it is time for you to get your binge on. Um this show is ridiculously smart and so good. I I cannot believe how lucky we are to have it. The The Good Place was created by Mike Schur, and you've got to know who he is, right? The showrunner of Parks and Rec. And a writer for The Office. I mean, this is the kind of brain and thinker that is bringing us the good place. Um, this is his. This show is his whole brainchild. It's all about kind of ethics and philosophy, and essentially answers the question: What does it mean to be a good person? And so, it, it, I made me. I'm, I perhaps made that sound heavy. It's hilarious. It's a comedy, and Jamila is so good in this. So so good in this, and of course. She plays with none other than Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. The Good Place was just nominated, you guys, for two Emmys. Ted Danson is lead actor. Awesome. Maya Rudolph, guest actress. It's worth all their nominations. It is worth all of its hype. And so Jamila Jamil does this fabulous job of playing Tahani. And we're going to talk about her character, how she got there, Um, what she has learned from playing Tahani for the last couple of years. She's so, so good at it. And you guys, this is her very first acting job. Wait till you hear about her story, how she found her way onto this fabulous set. It's just so um, interesting. But here is the thing. You are going to love Jamila today. I I, I had a hundred points during our conversation. I was like, Oh, she is so smart. Like she is so good. I love the way she is thinking. I love the way she is leading. Like, this girl's got the goods, you guys. This conversation is really strong. I I want every one of you to sit down and listen to it, and and really dial into some of the messages that she is giving us right now. There, it's it's important and it's needed and it's necessary. So, Jamila, you will pick this up really quickly as soon as you hear her talk. She's from the UK. And she worked in radio there and then moved to the U.S. a few years ago um, and sort of literally fell into acting. And now she is on one of the top shows on television. television it's crazy. Um, so I am excited to introduce her to you and her heart and her brains and her her work for women. This is a good one. We got a good egg on today, you guys. A- bundle of talent and a wonderful heart. And you are going to love this conversation. So without any further ado, let's welcome actress Jamila Jamil to the show. Okay. It is just my greatest joy to welcome you to the For the Love podcast, Jamila. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so
1: much for having me. How exciting.
0: Oh my goodness. I just I just told you this before we started recording, but I mean... The Hatmaker family is huge, huge Good Place fans. I mean, we love you. We love your show. We love your character. So this, these are huge, huge points um, that I'm getting to score today. And so... Thanks for being on our TV series. I'm just, I'm tickled about it. So listen, I have told our listeners a little bit about you and who you are and what you do, but if you will indulge us, just first things first, I would love to hear a little bit more about your growing up years. You're from London. I I just, what kind of a kid were you? What did you love? What were your hobbies? Was there just anything in your childhood that pointed toward a future career in performing and media for you?
1: Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, I was in school plays and stuff because I think that was just a really fun outlet for a child. But I never had an aspiration towards acting. I always wanted to be a doctor and I loved biology. And so I was a very studious Mm. child. I was a scholarship child because I came from no money and, uh, and so I loved school. I was just like a big nerd. I was a teacher's pet. Uh, I had zero friends. <laughs> mm, is and, that right? I, yeah. I really didn't have any friends. I was just such a loser. I was really, mm. I was really socially inept as a child. Mm. And, and so I think if anything, that's the thing that probably most led me to comedy. I think pain normally is the thing that leads people to comedy.
0: Mm. Mm, That's a great point. Some of our very best comedians kind of have stories of suffering and, and overcoming. That's such a common thread
1: yeah and I was um I was deaf as a child and so I had to have constant operations as a little kid and I think that also made me more socially inept because I would go through periods of not being able to literally hear anything and I would take loads of time out of school to have operations to try and get my hearing back and it really wasn't until I was 12 that I had steady-ish hearing um I still don't have great hearing but it's you know well enough for me to work in like radio and television so and do podcasts with people like you um and so yeah so that was it I had a challenging a very challenging upbringing i'd say but uh it's all worked out okay in the end which is the biggest takeaway i hope anyone ever gets from listening to how uh shirt shirty my uh my my youth was is that it does get better it
0: does and you've built this beautiful life and it's so interesting that you were hearing impaired were you
1: born with a hearing impairment or you lost your hearing Well, I mean, I don't know. I know that I was about one years old when they realized that there was really something wrong with me because I wouldn't respond when other people would call Mm. my name. Um, I think they probably just thought I was very aloof until then um mm-hmm. <laughs> an indifferent just a one-year-old. snobby little baby yeah just a tahani baby you know just yes. a, like only talks back to celebrities um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but i um but i i yeah i was just deaf i just couldn't hear anything i have wow. some sort of i have very very weak uh like eardrum skin i guess mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that something equally sexy to talk about on your podcast
0: so sexy i mean those I are know. the building blocks of fame right there
1: i know i know i can't wait to talk about that in gq or something. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so when it was, you were 12, when you fully
0: sort of developed your hearing, wow, that's a big deal. I mean, that must have really affected your development as a kid, socially, yes. kind of in every way, honestly.
1: Yeah. I'm still really stary. Like I'm still a stary person. Like I stare oh, sure. at people because you, you have to look at people to be able to lip read and, and you can't really rely on your hearing. So you become hyper vigilant. As a person you know like normally when one of your senses your vital senses yep. comes down the other ones like, accelerate so i'm i'm basically spider-man uh,
0: is what oh, i'm trying to tell you it's yeah. not a terrible skill at yeah. a party uh, <laughs> are you but, fluent uh, in sign language
1: still no i'm not it's been a mm-hmm. hundred years and also mm-hmm. like i used to try to rely on mostly just either being in silence or lip reading i was never big on sign language i think wow. uh, stupidly stupidly as a child and i really regret this i think that I thought that would mean that I would be deaf forever. I kind of was in mm. a lot of denial about my hearing, so I to try and just cling to it as much as I could. But mm. it, it shaped me and it made me a much stronger person for this uh, ridiculous business that I'm in. Like I just don't get stressed about the same things that other people get stressed about because I think you lose perspective in this weird bubble yeah. Uh, and I've been lucky enough that I think that those years shaped me, uh, into not taking anything for granted, which is why I'm so, such a, like a staunch advocate for not taking our bodies for granted because I've, mm-hmm. I've been, I've been, uh, someone who's experienced so much of my body suddenly like turning its back on me. Mm.
0: I love that you're saying that. And I find a lot of truth in it. I've got a whole bunch of kids and almost all of them are teenagers and young adults. And so. Right what I notice in their peer group is that some of their lives have been so comfortable and so charmed. And the parents put the bumpers up on the bowling alley their entire life to have Mm -hmm. just any uh, avoidance of any sort of struggle, pain, loss, failure, anything. We just cushioned it so much that they are rolling into young adulthood like fragile, hot house plants. I mean, they just wilt in the sun and I think there's something to be said, um, for letting our kids struggle and even suffer through something. And it creates more resilient adults and grownups who can kind of handle their life. And I, I see that absolutely played out. I want to go back to what you just said, because I, this is one of my favorite things about you and about your work and the way that you sort of move in the world, um, is your work sort of around women and our bodies. Um, I, I read that, um, You know, you've written about weight issues that you struggled with when you were a teenager. And -hmm. and then you described this terrible car wreck when you were 17, broke your Mm -hmm. back. I mean, really monumental physical things. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that, about the accident, about your physical and mental recovery, um, about what you were learning about your body in those really formative years and, and what it's meant for you.
1: Well, when I was 14, you know, I grew up in like the 90s where it was all heroin chic, and everyone was like quoting Kate Moss of like, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I'll never forget and it. it. Mm-hmm. So much toxic messaging um, all around me. And so I stopped eating at about 14 and mm. didn't really eat another meal again until I was 17. So I became Gosh. emaciated, didn't have a period, uh, hated myself, still thought I was fat even when I was like seven and a half stone. I had mm. terrible body dysmorphia, which is kind of only just started to go away this year. I'd wow. say probably. And I'm 32. So Mm. that's a huge chunk of my life that I've spent with an actual mental inability to see my own physique in the mirror. Um, And it really does mess you up. And so I really didn't respect my body. All I wanted my body to be was thinner and smaller and take up less space because then I would be enough as a human being. And then the car accident happened. I broke my back. I got hit by one car into another car because I was running away from a bee. Uh, and when I see a bee, I naturally run into traffic. That is a problem of mine. I've done it twice in my life and been hit by cars twice because of bees, which is really bizarre. I know. It's like my life is just final destination. Um, Uh, That's the craziest
0: thing I've ever heard.
1: It's so dumb, and I gained a bunch of weight on steroids. Like everything just happened to me, and I realized, oh, I'm not in control of this body. And actually I've taken it for granted so badly, and it just sort of knocked the anorexia out of me in a way that I don't think anything else could have. Because it really does, wow. once it gets you, it just gets you. And you can live with anorexia for 40 years sometimes, you right. know. Uh, and I was severely anorexic. And so I it just was this huge life-altering shock that made me respect myself in a way that I was really lucky to find at 17 because mm. nobody respects themselves at 17. That's <laughs> right. We're trained, we're trained not to so That's that we'll right. hate ourselves by the time we're old enough to buy stuff that we don't need.
0: Conspiracy
1: mm-hmm. theory—that
0: <laughs> is a word. I mean, there is a lot of money to be made on our insecurities. That is a billion-dollar industry, and yeah. and you work really hard on that. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too, because I, I am buying what you're selling. I am picking up what you are laying down. Let's go back a little bit. You um, you started your career teaching English to non-native mm-hmm. speakers, mm-hmm. and so it's. What is the curious path from being an English teacher to a career in radio, which was next for you?
1: It was television that was next for me I met a man in a I met a man in a pub who told me that he thought I was funny and that I should go up for this huge audition to replace this broadcaster called Alexa Chung I don't know if you have ever heard of her she's a fashionista who was a a host for a while I think now she's a model um and so they were replacing her because she was moving to America and I Hmm. said oh no thank you I'm you know I don't I don't want to be um in show business and then he said it was a thousand pounds a day and I was like cool what's the email (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) I went to the audition with no idea what I was doing no expectations I hoped there'd be free sandwiches and I would see someone handsome and famous there um and I I went to the audition and I somehow got I was what they were looking for it was pure luck and chance and I became a tv host on that network for the following four years and after that I found radio sort of it all found me and I I didn't, I didn't go looking for this industry. And again, that's given me so much power because I never angled my whole life mm-hmm. towards success in this business. It means that I've never had to be willing to, to die for it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes oh, I really good, eh? feel like people are willing to risk their whole lives for it, their relationships, their families, mm-hmm. their happiness for fame and success. And, mm-hmm. and And I think because I've never been chasing that particular dragon, I've always been able to do jobs that feel good to me, which has helped me follow my instincts and following our instincts as human beings is really the only way forward in life.
0: Mm, that's pretty strong. Um, I wonder who that guy is. I, I'm just so curious if he knows he set your career in motion. That is really, it feels so random, but it was so right and true. I, uh, I heard that a lot of people told you as you're kind of approaching 30, which is yeah. just so young
1: yeah,
0: that you're too old, yeah. um, too fat and my favorite too ethnic mm-hmm. for Hollywood yeah, and, I just would love to hear you talk about that. When did you decide to come to the U S and why you obviously didn't listen to the haters. So bravo on you. <laughs> and how gross is this culture? I mean, I, I just, I read that and I knew it was true. I'm just positive that that voice and that perspective is so pervasive and the messages aimed specifically at women. Cause men kind of get a free pass here. Um, yeah. But at women, this is, this is the cocktail that we get to drink. So I would just, I would love to hear that bit of your journey and what you were hearing and why you came anyway and how you sort of plowed through all that.
1: Uh, Well, I was 28. I wasn't even 30. I was 28. And I, uh, I just sort of, I'd done it. I'd done everything that I'd wanted to do in the United Kingdom. And I was sort of going, I felt like I was going through the motions and 28 just felt too young to be going through the motions. There were too many things that I wanted to do still and and some of those things were just like traveling and seeing the world and and living in another place and I think any industry you know especially when you're young like you have this fear of going on holiday or taking time out because you miss the boat and then someone else takes your spot and so I just hadn't taken a break in like seven years and I had so much that I wanted to see and so I had another little health scare That's how I, it's how I, um, I think every 10 years, a huge health scare happens that stops me from taking my life for granted. Uh Uh, And so this was a little lump in my breast that a doctor found. It turned out not to be cancerous, but the fact that it wasn't cancerous and so many of my friends do have cancer and have had cancer and I've lost friends to cancer um, so young that it made me realize how lucky I was and gave me that new jolt that I needed to be like, okay, kick it up Uh a gear again. It's time to move. Um, And so Maybe in the next health scare in ten years' time, I'll become a rapper. I don't know. You don't know. You don't know yeah. your future. Uh, so I, um, I found out that after a week of waiting for the biopsy results, which is an agonising amount of time oh, to wait. Totally,
0: the way, there's got to uh, be a better way.
1: That I had the all clear. I just needed the lump removed. I hmm. booked a one-way ticket six weeks from the date of the lumpectomy, and I wow. moved. On my own to Los Angeles with no visa, with no contacts, with no idea what I was doing, with no friends. Um, I left the relationship I was in, I quit my job, and I was just met with like six weeks of doubt, mass mm. doubt, and like really people imposing their fear for themselves on me. Really. Oh, I'm sure, like, you know, like your family, it's your so friends. Scary. Yeah. No, but it looks like colleagues. Everyone was just like, what are you doing? You've built up this whole career here. You're too old to go and start again at 28. And, but this is our industry where we're just sort of like, you know, you're almost at the end of the road at 28. You know, you're almost washed up. You're lucky to still be here when you're so old and haggard.
0: I don't even know how to receive it. And men are somewhat evergreen in the industry. And so
1: we shoot men in HD. Like yeah, <laughs> we 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 want to see as much of their wrinkles and grey hairs as possible. We think it, we call it salt and pepper. Yes. Yeah, whereas when the woman so angry. we call it over the hill. You yeah, know, of but course. It's so it's so bizarre how much more receptive we are to men aging, and we think men age well and women just sort of wither away that's not true that's right. all the women I know have only improved with age both I in mind agree. and in spirit and in body and the way that everyone like sort of loves themselves so much more when they get older and they appreciate themselves so much more and it makes them stronger because they're spending less time thinking about their looks more time thinking about growing their lives and their families mm. like people just become better with age and we just seem to like kill women off after the age of 25. Mm.
0: So this this is what everybody's saying to you. You are hitting discouragement kind of on Mm -hmm. every side. You don't have people in Hollywood. You're there by yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, this just feels like you are at the bottom of quite a mountain to climb. So what happened? What happened next? I heard that you got an audition for the good place when it was basically a state secret. Yes. And I would just we would love to hear about how that audition came about. Um, and and sort of that process into the space you're in now?
1: Well, I was uh, assigned to Three Arts as a writer and um, because I'd been writing columns, uh, like comedy columns for eight years, and I wanted to turn everything into... I had an idea for a, a show, and so I was writing that and working with them. And then this audition came along and it was for an annoying, overly tall English woman who was from mm. Pakistan, but had a posh English accent. And, I was, and they just, they were like, well, she's annoying. It's you. Uh, <laughs> uh, they insisted I just go and try for it. And there was a big like tug of war between us because I just didn't feel like I, you know, I respect acting as a car, as a craft and I'm a huge TV mm. and film fan. And so I just didn't feel like I had the right to roll on up and even dare wow. to try for something like this. But they really, really heavily pressured me into going and giving it a shot. And so wow. I went with the idea that, well, at least I'll meet Mike Sure, And then right. that'll be like a bucket list thing ticked off. Yes. And I went and somehow, again, <laughs> somehow I was what they were looking for. I was in the right place at the right time. And Mike knew that I really didn't know what I was doing and just decided on me. And he basically only submitted my tape to the network. Is that um, right? And this so is much- your first acting job, by the way. So I mean, first, yeah.
0: That's just crazy. How did you even know how to prepare? Did you have anybody helping you?
1: No, I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. I just memorized the lines on my own and went in and just did whatever I was told. And, you know, 10 years of a TV experience where you're just, yeah. you know, how to take direction from someone and. and- That's true like look down a barrel and perform somewhat but this was different because this wasn't me being myself this was being this complete caricature of a human being mm-hmm. um and thankfully i had a really annoying friend um in england who i probably am no longer friends with <laughs> who i based the whole of tahani off of <gasps> so I, I read that's hilarious I read the character and I was like, oh my God, this reminds me so much of this person. And so I just stole her personality and went in and performed (laughs) it in the room. And it was exactly what they were looking for weirdly. But Mike was so supportive of me. Mm. He was so kind and so supportive and the producers were so great with me. And they were just, you know, like I I guess Aubrey Plaza hadn't had that much acting experience either when she started on Parks and Rec. And I think that Mike, can spot something in people that they can't spot on themselves. And he just knows how to nurture people's kind of confidence and skill set. And so, yeah, he's just like, he's the dad of of our dreams. Do you know what I mean? I
0: love hearing this so much. This is giving my TV loving heart so much joy. Hey guys, I wanted to break into the show for a minute to ask you a question. Who around here loves to clean? There's somebody out there who probably does, God bless you, but most of us dread it. But what we do all love is when everything is clean, right? So a while back, I discovered something that makes cleaning more fun, better smelling, and healthier. Grove Collaborative. You've probably already heard about it. They make it easy to discover the very best natural cleaning products to take care of your home and your family. And they make sure you never run out of your favorites and de- deliver it right to your door. My love language, Grove Collaborative carries so many great brands like Method, my very favorite, Mrs. Myers, and Burt's Bees. Also, some of their own label stuff. They even sell some products in concentrates. Did you know that most of our cleaning products we buy are like ninety-five percent water? Well, with Grove, you get this beautiful reusable bottle to use for the products that come in concentrate. Just put a little bit in the bottle, add your own water and clean. What's fun about Grove too, is that they've got so many great scents and get this, there is a slew of fall scents available soon, like apple cider, peony blossoms, mum, and crowd favorite, pumpkin. Who doesn't love pumpkin in the fall? So because we are all about telling you the things we love to make life a little easier, and in this case, better smelling, we've partnered up with Grove Collaborative to extend an offer to you, our beloved listeners. You can take advantage of this awesome new customer offer so that everyone listening can try your own box of Grove stuff. This special offer comes with a free... Mrs. Meyer gift set that's worth $30. So when you place your order of $20 or more you get Mrs. Meyer's hand soap dish soap, multi surface spray, a kitchen towel plus free shipping and a VIP trial membership. So to get all this you've got to go to grove.co slash for the love. So it's not grove.com it's grove.co slash for the love. Now back to our show. I want to talk about your character Tahani because she's a real piece of work and we love her in our family. We love her. She just cracks us up and we've, I actually, we get to know her a little bit better in season two, um, see a little bit more depth to her character and why she is the way she is. Um, so I, I love to hear you talk about Tahani a little bit more and, and what has, what has the good place in general taught you about um, the way we view the world with our own lenses, through the lens of our own experiences, and measure what is actually good. Like what is playing Tahani for a couple of years taught you um, about yourself and about this life.
1: Playing Tahani has taught me, first of all, to make sure that my motivations aren't corrupt when I'm doing nice things, because mm. I think you know, Mike calls it moral dessert. You know that moment where you wait till the barista has turned back around before you tip the jar. That's what mm-hmm. he refers to that ah, as. Uh, yes. And so, like, avoiding moral desert and recognizing that that makes me still, a, like, a, a slightly shady person. Um mm-hmm. So I'm definitely thinking about the point system more because of Tahani. But also, mostly what Tahani's done is helped me understand all the, like, in, just really unbalanced <laughs> uh and insecure neurotic people in this business that I come across mm-hmm. all the time. I'm surrounded by Tahani's, both male and female, all the time and so it's helped me understand them and realize that they are so desperate for everyone's attention and approval because someone took that away from them when they were young. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of people end up in this business because they want to be noticed by everyone. I think that they felt okay. ignored when they were younger. I don't think it's always just a passion for acting. I think especially the people who go for the big fame, I really, from from meeting these people and spending time with them, you really get a sense that they weren't loved by someone fundamental. And so now they need to be loved by the world. And I think mm. there's a lot of that into Hani. Not to get too deep, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I do believe that. And I think I've developed more empathy for those people rather than just having disdain for them for being attention-seeking in the first place.
0: Mm, that's really compassionate and wise. Uh, I see that. Yeah, in but I learned that well. from Mike
1: Sher, You know, hmm.
0: that, is that the kind of set he creates? Is that what the work environment is like? Um, I mean, because now you're in TV world. I mean, this is a completely different environment than what you are we're accustomed to. What do you think of it? What's your assessment? What's your assessment of being on set? What's your assessment of being a part of a cast and um, the pace of it all? I just it, you've, you're just in a new world.
1: I, hmm. I'd say that it's being on set, being the world that he has created really does feel like, honestly, like, a, like what heaven would be in a work environment. Oh, that's so I've nice. Heard, I have heard horror stories, especially with the Me Too movement. Like I've heard horror yep. stories of the way that people and especially women are treated and I could not have experienced more the polar opposite of that. He's a real diehard, thoughtful feminist, not in this like virtue signal way. He really just doesn't understand inequality. It just doesn't compute with Mike in any way. And so you really feel that on set, everyone is treated like an equal no matter what job they do. Everyone is respected the same, everyone is treated the same. And the first thing he ever said to me when he hired me was, we have two rules on set and that's it. One of them is the best idea wins. Hmm. Um, And so whether the janitor came up with it or the writer or the actor where like we go for funny. So everyone has to feel like they can speak up. And he said that anyone who behaves badly will be immediately fired. Wow. So there's a real, there's a real, it's the exact opposite because people get away with murder on, on set in, in this town and everyone is nice. And it kind of like, you know, it really woke us up to the fact that, okay, wow, there is you know, we're so lucky to be here. And so therefore no one brings their bad day to work. No one has ever badly behaved. And you know what? Good dad, good kids. I think mm. good dad, good kids. I think if the dad is, if the showrunner and if the creator of the show is a good person, it trickles down. And I think if the creator of the show is a toxic person, that trickles down as well.
0: 100%. And we can even just look at Mike's sort of body of work yeah. and observationally see these are the roles he creates for women this is the environment yeah. he creates for them to thrive and to lead and mm-hmm. to sort of take take the front position and and that that tells me a lot that communicates yes. so much to me the sorts of women um that he works with and helps write for and creates space for i I'm, I'm i'm impressed and i'm moved um by the worlds that he makes. And yes. so it's so, I'm so happy to hear you say that, that that is your lived experience yeah. sort of under his
1: leadership. That And he's got loads of female friends and we have a really equal writing team um, agenda wise. And we have a really equal directing roster, which never happens. It's, it's he's, so true. He's, 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 he makes it his goal every year to try and get it as close to 50, 50 of male and female directors as hmm. possible. And he moves mountains to do that because there just aren't that many female directors. Um, working because of like just discrimination against women in Hollywood and so Mike goes out of his way to make sure everything's 50-50 Megan Amram um, and Jen Statsky are two of his top writers two Mm. very young women Um, and he's married to this really successful powerhouse amazing woman he just is he's the he's the example of of what progressive behavior can can bring to the world like look at how hmm. successful he is look at how happy yep. he is if this if you he's a great example of how inclusivity actually enriches the soul and enriches your life and enriches your bank account he's yeah. so rich yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would
0: you ever want to take your hand at directing are you interested in that
1: at all no no, no, definitely not. No, I like barely remember to brush my teeth every day. I have zero okay. attention to detail. And I think it's important to know your strengths and your weaknesses equally. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I don't have that. I'm not that guy. I never will be that guy. Uh, I think Dad it's really, say. yeah, I think it's really, uh, it's a really amazing job to have. And I think we need so much more, so many more women to do that job. But I don't think I'm the person. I'm not
0: either. I, I'm the one with big ideas and big dreams, but then I need a very robust team to pull any of it off. Cause the Absolutely. details are when, where the, for me, the train just leaves the tracks. I'm yeah. not exactly sure how to get there. I just think I know what the end looks like. So I'm with you entirely that we don't, we're not good at everything. My gosh.
1: No. Um,
0: so let me tell you this. I have to tell you that as, as a woman and as somebody mm-hmm. who serves women, my whole life's work is serving women. And I've got daughters. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love, 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 love. And I applaud you for the I Wei movement that you have started. And listeners, we'll have this all linked. So uh, don't worry. We'll get all this in your hands. But how much of a really fierce... Advocate, you are for body and life positivity and mental health. I mean, your voice is really strong in this, Um, very decisively clear, dead on correct. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about why you started this, what this is. I think this is crucial for women to hear about right now and to hear from. Strong women that they love and admire and respect, like you, Um, and of course, like all things do, this began with the Kardashians, right? Can you talk a little bit
1: about it? Oh, the irony of it starting with the Kardashians! Like I, so it's called I weigh, and it was a an accidental movement that began. It was so organic; Mm. it really was with no intention of of going anything further than me putting one post on Twitter. But basically, Mm. I saw a picture of the Kardashians, who are a very like they are a very successful group of women they are business women yes. they've built an empire it's one of the most spectacular empires in the history of the industrial age yeah uh, cuz chris jenner is a marketing genius and she's she an is. unrivaled business person in my opinion but i saw these pictures of this family of business women and then there were numbers written across their bodies and rather than that number being net worth which is what it would be if there was a picture of men next to numbers mm. It was how much they weighed,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, and the post was saying, "Who do you think looks like they weigh the least? What do you weigh?" Mm. And this was an account followed by about you know th- like hundreds of thousands of young of girls, all of whom were then panicking because they were the same height as Kendall, but they weighed more and this, that, and the other. Um, and I just thought, "Oh my God, it's 2018. Mm-hmm. How are we still unable to write a woman's net worth in anything other than pounds and kilos?" Mm. And so I just wrote what I, and once I would clicked on it to see it because of the algorithms of social media, hundreds right. of these posts started coming up. And it was like Selena Gomez, 52 kilos, Taylor Swift Ugh. and this, that and the other. And all these women who were like, who were nearly billionaires are being reduced to nothing more than, than a number on a scale that is yes. being made up by someone who doesn't know them. No one no. knows what these people weigh. No one knows anything about weight. Weight isn't important. So I just wrote what I weigh on Mm. um the internet over a picture of myself and I was like I weigh financial independence I weigh my relationship Mm. my friendships the eating disorder I overcame the anxiety I've suffered and still I'm working on now like you know all the different things that I think make me a person how I would describe my worth to somebody else and without asking anyone back to to, uh, without asking anyone to do it back um Thousands of women started to respond with theirs and men. And after a while, it was just, there were so many great ones that I didn't want them to all just disappear into the ether. Mm. So I started an Instagram account for them and it just grew. And now we have like 152,000 followers just in a couple mm. of months. And this is with no nudity and no celebrity, real celebrity endorsement. Just
0: grassroots.
1: Yep, People like it.
0: claiming their worth and their value and putting it online. It's And supporting so- each other yes oh I bet that's a strong community
1: yes and men and women come up to me all the time to tell me that it brightens up their day just seeing these posts that it's really uplifting and reminds them every time they see a post to think about themselves as a human individual rather than just like a sack of aesthetic failures which Mm. is what we all think about ourselves as men and women constantly stop me about how, how following that Instagram account just like gives them a kind of like almost like a shot of dopamine as to some watching someone else love themselves is inspiring. It reminds you to love yourself and it's accessible. Yeah. They're loving themselves because of what they've survived or who they are or because of the twins that they made. Like it's so human and there's no trolling on it, which is really amazing
0: amazing and shocking. Yeah. And as you well know because it's your own personal history as well, this is more than just feel good. It's it's more than just well, this will give you like 5 minutes of a good mood in this like dumpster fire of a world right now. It's mm-hmm. important our girls are we're losing them in record numbers to eating yeah. disorders and to self-harm and to body dysmorphia. I mean this is this is a real problem and yeah. I just am I mean, I can be just incandescent with rage when I see these things leveled at our daughters and our, and our own selves as grown women. And then you can add in all the anti-aging stuff to go with it too, where it's just oh, like God. our very own presence in the world is like an assault. Um, and there's just, we've got to fix it. We've got to fix getting older. We've got to fix our shape of our bodies. And so I just, uh, to me, this is, this is necessary this this message that you are bringing out and i obviously obviously you've thought about this for a long time mm-hmm. and how the media that we consume affects the way that we view ourselves and so i read that you are also an advocate and i just love this for no airbrushing
1: mm-hmm.
0: like in this world with filters and photo correctors and i am guilty guilty as charged
1: mm-hmm. like
0: i wonder if this is a fight we can win like how do you think each of us in our regular ordinary lives can change the media that we consume And then put put out into the world in such a way that is positively affecting change and how we see ourselves and how our daughters see themselves. Do you think we can do this?
1: Yes, I believe we can do this. I think it kind of starts with women in my position taking responsibility for what we put out into the world, and then I think it's about the women who follow us following suit. And we need to stop, like we need to stop photoshopping our images. It's such a crazy thing to do that just doesn't benefit anyone in any way apart from the second that you put it out and you get some likes you then have to go and look in the mirror when you go to the bathroom and see that that is not what your actual face looks like it's only detrimental and that's what happens is that you get used to seeing your nose looking like that on your phone and then you look in the Uh, mirror and it doesn't look like that your lips aren't as big or your skin isn't as clear women I know are spending hundreds or thousands of dollars a year on their looks for things that were fine to begin with uh, mm. because they're trying to match what they see on Photoshop. It's the death of our yes. self-worth and our self-respect. And I just think it is honestly one of the most toxic things in the world. I've never used it. And, I, um, and my images used to be photoshopped without my consent on magazine mm. covers when I was younger um, and in this business. And I just didn't have enough clout. I didn't mm. know that I was allowed to not do it. I also used to see the photographs on the computer straight after they'd be taken and assumed Mm -hmm. that not that much needed to be changed because I looked like me and it was a nice picture and I had a talented makeup artist and a talented hairstylist and loads of lighting. There's a whole, it's an army to make a look the way that we do on the front cover anyway. So it didn't presume that I would be, my nose shape would be changed Mm. and my skin color would be lightened and I would be made to look thinner and longer and my stretch marks would be removed. Um, Mm -hmm. And I used to feel sick when I would see these magazine covers with me on them. I never felt like they'd done me a favor. I felt like they'd really insulted me by changing the Mm. way that I look. And they'd hurt my feelings. And also I felt like I was a, I was complicit in the lie about, they'd made me complicit in the lie about what I look like, which on top mm. of the fact then sends a message to young women that they're supposed to also look like something that I don't myself look like. That's on right. top of that, it also encourages tabloid culture. We would have no tabloid culture if celebrities and magazines hadn't lied to people in the first place. Tab, like Paparazzi first really came into play in the 90s around within a couple of years of photoshop being so prevalently used right. where um they were trying to catch out what celebrities look like in real life because it was so obvious that everyone was yeah. lying
0: that's a great point
1: like but in in a, even though it wasn't in my control I was complicit in a lie and mm. I wouldn't say anything afterwards because I just feel so so embarrassed and now I'm older and I'm in my 30s and I just feel like I have enough power and I have a responsibility and I might have kids in a couple of years. Like I yeah. owe this to them to be, to not be part of this chain of toxicity.
0: You know, we do this it, out, even outside of celebrity culture. This is, as you mentioned, very pervasive in ordinary person culture too. This, we yes. all do this. This I'm only thing saying that it starts doing.
1: with us. Yeah, it starts with us. It needs to be taken over. And your kids are listening to every time you talk about your weight, every time you post a picture of yourself that doesn't look like you, every time they see you editing your photos or complaining Sorry. about yourself in the mirror or saying that you have nothing to wear, it all goes in. Hmm. I definitely got that from my mother and my mother's friends, you know, and the way that they would speak about their bodies and themselves like that. I internalized all of that. And then on top of everything else from the magazines and everywhere. So, you know, we really have to think about the fact that if you are not, if you are not okay with the way that you look, there's no way your child is likely to be. It's all Hmm. going in. You have a responsibility to make it right with yourself, to become friends with yourself so that your child has a chance of becoming friends with themselves because there's enough external pressures coming. That's right. this is
0: great leadership. Who do you like in this who who are you paying attention to? who who do you think is also side by side with you leading well um, in sort of in this work?
1: Um, I think that Ashley Graham is an amazing advocate mm-hmm. yeah, for women's rights and being strong and being fit and being healthy and being uh, outspoken and feisty mm-hmm. and so confident like you just don't see that kind of confidence off like when it's not on a man as mm, you do with right. her. She's just like, she's a, a lioness. So mm-hmm. I find her very inspiring and she just makes me want to push myself as a human being. Um, mm. I find creators like Amy Poehler, I yeah. find her very inspiring. I think she's amazing. I love the fact that she's got that Instagram account of Smart Girls where she yes, really gives too. a platform to the women who don't normally get one in this industry because they haven't got yeah. their tits out, or whatever, like... Yeah.
0: Smart the- Girls has been on this podcast. We believe oh, in that too. so mm-hmm.
1: amazing. But it's so unfair that we only give this kind of platform to to people who are in this industry and only if they are considered, like, appealing to men. Of course. It's so unfair because there's so many incredible women. I meet incredible women all the time who don't get a platform because of the way that they look, and we just need to shift that narrative. We need to become okay with normal looks. It's just, I mean, it's just an ongoing thing. But, yeah, I love Amy Poehler. I love... Um, you know what? And also, as far as the teeny boppers go, it's very hard to find non-toxic pop stars. But sure. But I... I'm really down for Selena Gomez. I am too. I'm very into her whole vibe. I love that she posts for that makeup on all the time. I love that she talks about her health struggles really publicly yeah. and, you know, published a photograph of her a second after her kidney transplant with her best friend. Right. I like the fact that when her weight fluctuates, she talks about it and addresses it and talks about how much she loves her new curves and never talks about how to lose weight, never gives out. I think she's a great example for young female pop stars. I
0: agree. I, I, I like watching her and I believe her. You know, I just get a sense that I, I think you're telling us the truth and yeah. I think you're being genuine
1: and and I like it. And, and she doesn't dumb herself down, which I really like because I think oh. so many women in media dumb themselves down. and Oh, to say that louder. To men. Selena Gomez doesn't mind being a bit scary and she doesn't mind being outspoken and she doesn't mind being really, really blunt in interviews. And I mm. think it's very important, very empowering that until we... Until we respect ourselves, we're not going to be able to win the respect of the oppressed. We can't just ask for it. We're going to have to take it.
0: Hmm. That's so true. And I also wonder if we will see the needle really move forward on this specific conversation, just women's empowerment in general. Once we begin to see more women in charge, more women writing, more women directing, more yeah. women in charge of the layouts, more women in charge of the storytelling, mm-hmm. um, I, I, there's just, there's a, such a gap in representation. And so even when women are the face of this, that or the other, there's, there's m- male sensibilities behind the camera you know behind the production of the whole thing and so um and in some cases like yours like with mike for example it's it's a glorious environment And, but it's, but that's not always true. And so I look forward to this next generation of girls um, to rise up strong and true and smart. They're so capable. I think the paths available in front of them are unprecedented. Honestly, there's just, uh, this is going to be exciting to watch. I have a lot of hope for what's next. Yeah. And I think you and I are sort of, we're in this in between where the things that we say and do matter. Yeah. And they're watching. They're going to catch it. They are going to catch what we are laying down.
1: Yeah. So, and also, like you know, we have a uh, an African American lady uh, it, who is Paulina Ibokwe, and she is Igbokwe, Sorry, um, Paulina Igbokwe is the. Uh, Well, she's the president of Universal Television. And so therefore Mm. she is in control of a lot of the programming and a lot of the diversity. And she's smart and she's strong Mm. and she's fierce and she makes really important cultural decisions. Like this is what happens when you put a woman of color high up Mm. in a huge network. Like it it trickles down. And look at how successful NBC is at the moment. It's the top network on American television. What she's doing isn't turning people away. It's making people feel more included.
0: That's so good. I mean, back to your earlier point about Mike, this is also a bona fide path to success. This isn't some concession that you have to settle for a lesser version of what it could have been. It's successful.
1: Imagine if we could include more people with disabilities, you know, on camera, like imagine how many more people with disabilities would root for that show or root for that brand or buy from that brand. You know, if we would just be more inclusive, more people would buy stuff. It's business. You don't have to be a good person. Think of that business.
0: (laughs) And speaking of another business, I hear that you're writing a book and this delights me because I really like your voice and I really like your brain. Um, And so I, I heard you say, this is why you're writing it. You said, I was not given the information that I needed as a young person to survive this tumultuous life. And all I want is to be the voice that I didn't have in the hopes that I might reach some people and remind them that we are exceptional, rounded creatures. First of all, bravo. Mm-hmm. Second of all, can you talk about this a little bit? What have you written so far? What's going into this book? How is this going for you? How are you finding the writing process? I would just love to hear more.
1: Um, I The book is, it's basically just a way to navigate around the trials and tribulations and shame of being a young person in this world, especially a young woman, especially a young woman of colour, but it's a book mm. for everyone. But of course I have a bigger female following than I do men. And and also right now I'm, I speak for those who don't have enough of a voice and I believe that is still currently women, unfortunately, even in 2018. Yeah. Um, I was a columnist for Cosmopolitan magazine for like, eight years and so in England. And so because of that, I guess my format is probably, I'm an essay writer, I always have been an mm-hmm. essay writer. I wrote a blog earlier this year about consent and one about I Weigh and one about airbrushing. I write blogs that go out on the Huffington Post or on my own blog. Um, mm-hmm. And so I find writing quite easy because I've got such an essay mentality. And mm-hmm. once now that I finally got time, now that the, the show's finished, I'm still working on the book and then I'll hopefully finalize on a deal soon and bring that's the book so out next year. And it'll be the book that I will have all of the awkward conversations that I don't want to have with my teenage girl when I have mm. her one day. I'll just give her the book and tell her not to talk to me about any of it.
0: You've already done the work. Sorry. Man- yeah, it, it'll yes. be like
1: a, a a manifesto that avoids all awkward conversations because I think it's awkward <laughs> conversations that stop parents from giving children really needed information. And so this just takes away, this like does the work for you. You know, Oh,
0: that's so great. It's not just for teenagers, love it.
1: It's for everyone, but it's just one yeah. of those, it's just a, it's just the, you know, we're, we're seeing real stuff Their Innocence is dead, man. Like That's you weird. can't protect anyone anymore because of the internet. So there's no point pretending like things are the way that they used to be. It's just chaos. It's mm. absolute chaos. There's so much misinformation out there. They're worrying yeah. about visible panty lines. They're worried about their weight from the age of six onwards. Like it's the apocalypse is upon us. Like yes. we have to do something about it. You've got to arm the kids and so arm the children with information.
0: It's so interesting to parent this next generation because we're sort of the first generation of parents to have to navigate this new culture, this new world, this internet world. Yeah, and we're um, behind has, our kids. Oh, my God. I, I would say we're profoundly behind. And yeah. um, so many of us are still just clutching all of our pearls And we're panicked and thinking if we don't look it in the eye, it doesn't exist. Um, When the fact is, you know, the data is telling us everything to the contrary, you know, that our kids are struggling and their online culture is making them terrified and lonely and, giving them destructive habits and ideas. And so, yeah, I, somebody's going to have to just show up and start talking straight. That's just a fact. So I, this is also kind of what the smart girls movement does back to your earlier reference. They do mm-hmm. a really good job of just dialing it in tight saying, this is where you're at. We see you let's find a healthy path forward. And so when you get that book out there, I will sing it from the rooftops. Does it have a title yet? Or are you still fleshing that out?
1: Uh, Yeah. I don't want to tell anyone yet. It's a whole whole thing.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is so exciting for you. All right. Listen, let's wrap this up. These are three questions that we are asking all of our guests Mm -hmm. in the TV series and just whatever pops to mind. Okay. Here's the first one. What was your favorite TV show when you were a kid?
1: My favorite TV show was Friends. It was friends. And oh. because oh, I didn't have any friends of my own, really, they were my friends. And so I still talk about them as if I grew up with them, which I think really creeps out my boyfriend. Uh, like I refer <laughs> to them all as like by their character names. And I'm like, this reminds <laughs> me of that time Chandler did this. And I, I do this on a daily basis. Uh, so yeah, everything I know, I learned from friends. Oh, that's so good.
0: Um, I've seen every episode of Friends at least six times a piece. Not all of it. Every one of them. Yeah. Um, so here's the next one. Before you came to Hollywood, who was your, like, this is the person I have to work with someday person. Who's your, like, that's your gold star. I want to be a, a part of a cast with this person.
1: Will Smith. Oh, nice. It's a good he's goal. My, have him. you met him? I have met him. Yeah. Um, I almost died. Uh, I've just, uh, <laughs> like just, I didn't know I could love someone so much who I didn't know um yeah Will Smith is like you know Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was also like another huge huge part of my Will Smith and Jennifer Aniston I'd say in equal in equal parts of the two people that I would most just die if I got to work opposite and spend time with because I just think they're both fabulous inside and out and I've only met Jennifer briefly um but Will Smith I met and had like a had a really I sat next to him once at a dinner and had a very long, long and personal conversation with him. And I won't divulge anything about that. But I will say that he is truly the greatest individual inside and out that he the man is made of just solid gold. And I've never met someone who deserves their success more than he does, because he's such a good person, even still, even after all of this success and, and mega fandom, he could be so jaded, but he's not he's such a gentleman. And he's such a good egg,
0: what a nice thing to say. Yeah. God, I love that you're saying that. Okay. Here's the last one. This is a twist on the question we ask every single guest in every single series. Um, what TV show is saving your life right now?
1: Uh, what TV show is saving my life right now? Oh, uh, Killing Eve. I
0: can't. Oh, We have that queued up and ready to start. It's good.
1: so good. It's so good. It's such a different show. And Jodie Comer's performance in it, who plays the sort of villain, just to have a female villain like that is so extraordinary. And she's so strong. And you have never seen a performance like that before. And she's the next, I think she might be the next Meryl Streep, honestly. That show was wow. amazing.
0: Okay. All right, well you just pushed me over the edge on that. I've I've seen the hype. I love the cast. I, I the writing looks amazing. So, okay, I'm yeah. I'm jumping into. Um, Jamila, you are so smart and so delightful, and Thank I'm you. thrilled that your voice is being heard right now. I'm so happy for your success. I cannot wait to watch this roll out in front of you continuously. I just hope your path is laid smooth and Thank we you. see more of you, we hear more from you. Um, that your star continues to rise. It is really a pleasure to meet you. Can you just tell everybody where they can find you um, and all that good stuff?
1: Well, you can find me on the Good Place on NBC. You can also find me on Instagram at Jamila Jamil official. You can find me at Jamila Jamil on Twitter, and most importantly, you can find my and most important, you can find my I Movement at. I underscore way, which is just a museum of love where I guarantee that whether you contribute or not, and I hope you do, you will feel better about the world after going on that Instagram page. Beautiful. Thank you for creating it. We need it.
0: We're hungry for it. We need some good news in the world right now. And that is such a bright spot, such a bright spot. And we're thankful. Thank you for your time today. I'm just delighted to have met you. Absolutely delighted. I'm cheering you. you on in every way, sister.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Fabulous fabulous girl, right? I'm so into her. And I loved that conversation. Like I'm my, my brain is buzzing and she really challenged me on a few things. I mean, I feel challenged. By her work and very committed to her. So everything she mentioned, we will have linked over at JenHatMaker.com under the podcast tab. So we will have all of her social medias. We will have links to The Good Place, which if you haven't started it, today is your day. Uh, we will ha- we'll have it all. Anything she said is definitely the Iway community, which is just such a delight. So um, you guys are going to want to follow her. She is so funny and saucy. I just enjoyed that so very much. The TV series is so fun. You guys, we have so many more amazing guests coming your way. Just this conversation is so fun and interesting and vibrant. And so I can't wait for you to come back every single week and see who we have next. You're going to be tickled, 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 tickled. You guys, thank you for tuning in every week. Um, This podcast community is just beyond. It is, you are my best thing. And thank you for being such smart, engaged listeners and for sharing this podcast and telling your friends and subscribing and rating it and reviewing it and all the wonderful things that you do for us. We are just grateful you're a little podcast team here. Me, Laura, Amanda, all the crew, we um, are so glad to bring this to you week in and week out. So everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I can't wait to hear what you thought about it online, so pop in there and give some some feedback. Um, and I will see you next week. Have a great one. And until next time. Hey guys. We're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Raise your hand if you'd like a cozy and inviting home with less stuff. Michael and Smith you may know her as the nester on social media is the queen of cozy. Her new book, cozy minimalist home has so many practical ways to transform your home into a cozy livable space. You can buy cozy minimalist home right now on Amazon or wherever you get your books. Looking for a treat to serve at the holidays. Nutty snacks are all natural snack mixes that are gluten-free, and grain-free vanilla cinnamon chocolate peanut there's a nutty snack for every taste and just for our listeners get a limited edition for the love snack mix for free that i picked out just for you with any purchase so go to nuttysnacks.com and use the code for the love at checkout Bear Soaps offers all-natural soaps and candles that support women in India with fair wages. Bear has gorgeous gift sets to make giving even more special this holiday season. And just for our listeners, you can get 15% off your purchase with the code Hatmaker 15 So head over to bear-soaps.com and use the code Hatmaker 15 That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.